Our Father, thank you for your faithfulness to your church. Um, This is your moment. We pray that you will help us to know your will, to know what you're up to. May we find great encouragement because of your, your clear revelation to us. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. I want to highlight one quick announcement. Um, in September, I'll be offering some Saturday morning training. This will be on sat- September 7th and on September 14th. The same instruction will be going on. And then again in November, and we're calling this Gospel Leadership Training on Gospel Identity, Gospel Growth, and Gospel Love. And you're all invited to come to these little workshops, and we'll provide child care. And we're going to try and get this down as a, as a church uh, to understand more what does it look like to be in gospel leadership in my marriage, uh, gospel leadership in my home, my children. Uh, we're going to talk about this for, uh, for a while, and uh, we're going to begin a new series on the book of Acts. Um, it, it, actually, in two weeks, next Sunday, I'll be in Luke 24. Luke and the gospel of Luke and Acts are actually together and I'll be looking at Luke 24, but we're going to start a new series in the book of Acts, and so uh, we're going to be talking a lot about mission, evangelism, apologetics, and uh, so I want to provide also along with that some gospel training. We'll do more promotion of that uh, in a little bit uh, later as the weeks go on here. Well, um, all right, so let me, I want to spend a little bit longer on an introduction, and if during the introduction you're saying, where is he going? Um, I'll be okay with that. Um, So I want to set up something for you. As I'm aware that this passage has a lot of to-dos. I don't know if you noticed that. There's all kinds of imperatives here, by the way. Uh, In English, how do you tell when a sentence is written in the imperative? Like, clean your room, right? It has an exclamation point, right? That's the, I think that's the best clue we have in our English language. Um, as a child growing up, I had lots, lots of exclamation points, uh, verbal ones from my mom on how to behave. Uh, so these are a lot of, there are a lot of imperatives in this passage. And so we're going to get there. We're going to talk about this passage. But let me, let me share with you some thoughts about what I think is going on here. First of all, I think what, what's happening is there's a, a template for obedience going on here. Uh, this is a framework uh, of, a, of a new city, of a new society, of how the world is supposed to look upon the church and say, there it is, the new people, the people of the future are already among us, okay? All right, now, we'll get there. I'm from Southern California, um, and um, I grew up in my, most of my years in Southern California, there were some years, uh, my father worked with overseas American schools, and so I was in some pretty exotic places overseas. But Southern California is my is my home, my roots. Um, I know just about well all the cities near where I lived. I can see them in my mind. I, different reasons I know that. Now think about this: that 60 miles from downtown LA, those of you who are familiar with Los Angeles. Um, 60 miles from L.A. was my hometown, Redlands. And from downtown L.A. to my hometown was nothing but city. Nothing but city. 
As a kid growing up, I thought about New York and Philadelphia and the East Coast, and I just thought, well, since, wow, those are old. Like, Philadelphia is like 250 years old. Well, out, Pennsylvania must be one big thing of concrete. You know, I mean, if you're around that long, there just has to be nothing but city everywhere. Of course, then I finally went to Philadelphia, and I realized they have trees here. I said, look at that. They have forests here. I never imagined that. So I grew up in a concrete jungle. And the size and the immensity of Los Angeles, uh, it's, of course, it's even bigger now than when it was when I was a child. But it, makes, it always made me feel small uh, being uh, from Los Angeles or at least from a, a suburb area of way outside of L.A. But L.A. gave me a sense of smallness and even a feeling of lostness. Uh, L.A. was a trendsetter course, for many things across the nation, style, fashion, celebrity divorce, uh, all kinds of things. But it was also a trendsetter in air pollution. Some of you are too young, perhaps, to know what smog is or regular gas that produced that smog. Well, I grew up breathing that stuff. The smog was so thick that if the sun set at 6 p.m., it would drop into this thick layer of smog and, well, say by 5 p.m., you couldn't see the, the sun anymore, even though it was still up. And it would have all these strange burnt orange colors coming through, but the sun was somewhere back there. This is the stuff of dystopian novels and movies. Imagine a tourist brochure. You won't breathe and you'll lose track of the sun. Welcome to Southern Cal. We couldn't breathe and we lost sight of the sun every day. With two older brothers we went to the who went to the University of Southern California, we would do plenty of trips into Los Angeles. I recall how gladly I, how glad I felt when I was in our family station wagon, with my dad driving through this concrete jungle, and this out, this outside world was being held at bay. I felt good about the family connection inside that station wagon. Again, some of you are too young to know, but Los Angeles was a place of great uh, trouble. In 1965, there were six days of rioting in an area called Watts, southeast L.A. It was really out of control, a very dangerous time. In fact, we were driving, pa we drove through Watts, uh, or near there, uh, uh, from a tr family trip to the beach, and there was fire, fires all around the, the freeway and the smoke. Um, but I was secure inside that little station wagon, or that station wagon. But I didn't have a larger way of understanding my world or finding meaning in my world. I don't know when you came to Christ, but I was not a believer at this time. I had no way of orienting myself to the world. What holds this city together? Why do I sense something is wrong? Something's been lost. The German word angst describes these questions, alienation, a knowledge that I don't have a grasp on what, uh, of just, of how to fix this impossible situation. How will it be resolved? I was burdened, but I didn't have any answers. Of course, as a young child, I didn't really quite think this way or talk this way as I am today. But this sense of alienation, this anguish of life didn't go away. And I didn't like Los Angeles, didn't like looking at it didn't like its vastness, this great, vast 
place of what? what? How would I make sense of it? Today, there's a lot of talk about our cities. Our cities are in ruin, the big cities of the United States. They're places that we, well, I don't see that much. I might land in an airport, but I don't see the city. I just go to the airport, right? There's a, a lot of concern about what we could describe as the secular experiment or the experiment of humanism, that the humanistic view of life is failing. Um, the salvation plan of the, some utopian plan, some new idea, well, there aren't any ideas out there now. Or if there are, they're really taking the shape of sort of, sort of totalitarianism. The elites want to tell us what to do. So here's the situation. What are we going to do? Where are we going to look for a new society? Where are we going to look for a new city? Well, you're it. When the Bible thinks about the new city, when Jesus talks about the, the city, he talks about us. And in Matthew 5, he says, you're the city that's set upon a hill and you can't be hidden. You're the salt of the earth. And, and in Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light so, show sh so shine that people will see your good works and glorify your, your heavenly Father. So this is the time for the church. Amazing, isn't it? It's a time for the church, this little micro, little micro city right here, little tiny city. And there's thousands of them, maybe millions of them around the world that these little reflections of God's new society. And so what I'm setting up here is this. All these imperatives and all this, this language that Paul talks about, about respecting those who labor over you and uh, all the details of church life here. There's just all these commands here. All this is the, this is the structure. This is the structure that the new city needs. This is it. And if this works before a fallen world, if this works before the cities that are crumbling in the West, if this works, you work. Imagine the glory that could be given to our Heavenly Father. And neighbors and the community is going to look in saying, wait a minute, you've got order, you've got kindness, you've got patience, you've got diversity, you've got what's going on here, the world that God is making is on display right now with us. So you are central. You are central to what God is doing in the world. And you are forming a city of good relationships where people flourish. And this, is a, this counteracts against the corrosive effects of modernity. The beauty relational wholeness that is described here in our passage is a template for obedience. In other words, if you were to begin to fulfill these things in your life, you would be communicating that the human being can flourish again. So just with, with, with those ideas, let me state a few things that we're going to cover there's a, a, an obedience that takes shape in, the, in light of the following subjects. An obedience that takes shape. That's the key thought here. 
Number one, with respect toward those over us, verses 12 through 13. This obedience takes shape with concern for one another, verses 14 through 15. This obedience that takes shape with joy, prayer, and thanksgiving, 16 through 18. And this obedience takes shape with testing all things and not quenching the spirit, verses 19 through 22. So Paul will discuss the relationship between the Thessalonians and their leaders. He'll talk about their relationships as fellow members, their relationship to the Holy Spirit. It's always good when the Presbyterian Church talks about the Holy Spirit. Mark this in church history. This is important. And also Paul will acknowledge that his own intimate relationship with the Thessalonians, he will acknowledge how much he prays for them. He will give them final exhortations and he will give them a benediction. All right, verse 12, take a look at this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, verse 13, he's not done, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work and be at peace among yourselves. Um, so there's a structure for this city and every city needs leaders and this city at this level, there's kind of multiple levels to this city, by the way, we're at the lower tier of the city. It's an unusual city. It's the new Jerusalem and we're down here below and we have elders overseeing the city. And then as you go up higher and higher, you begin to connect with heaven itself. The new Jerusalem connects up there and down here. And so, Paul says, with respect to how the city is organized, it's organized under King Jesus, who has established elders to care for the church. A blogger, on, a blogger or an online sermon... Uh, can't do what elders can do in the local church. They can't apply the scriptures to your life, to your circumstances. They can't, after church, pray with you. See? So uh, that's a disembodied experience if you're listening to a sermon online, which is great sermons online, but it's a disembodied one. Um, Late. Those who labor among you, verse 12, are thinking about you and they're seeking to, to apply Christ to the sermon for you and seeking to think about how best to apply Scripture to your life, your situation in life. What do you need at this moment? Someone once thought that I got my sermons in the mail that I subscribed to a service. I thought, man, that's fantastic. Do you know where I can, can I sign up for that? And they thought I would just walk out to my mailbox and get, get a sermon. This labor is a particular kind of labor. It's a unique labor in a unique time for unique people. And it's a labor among multiple priorities. A ruling elder, I'm a, I'm a, PCA calls me a teaching elder. I'm a full-time elder. 
Um, um, the other elders are full-time, but they just do have different occupations as well. But they have their own lives. Elders have their own lives, and they have their own families to care for, deacons as well. And it's a multitasking, multi-priority leadership. It's a time where biblical exposition, biblical preaching, the word of God, even among the church is really not that. It's not that big a deal. A hundred years ago, in New York City, they would publish the sermons of prominent preachers in the city, and people would read in the New York Times, they would read sermons on Monday morning on their way to commute, on their morning train commute. Now, pastors don't help this subject of respect. That's the key word in verse 12. Be sure that you respect your leaders. Pastors don't uh, help. Uh, they flame out moral issues. Uh, pastors can be theologically smart but emotional children. Um, there's a lot of reasons why someone may not respect uh, a pastor. Um, but if you struggle to respect your leaders, um, they probably feel it. Um, the communication is received. So talk to them. Work at the relationship. Um, the requirements of love in the, in the church require us to figure out, why, why don't I respect this guy? What's going on? What's being communicated? What's he, what's he up to that I have a hard time with? So work at the relationship. What's troubling you? And look at verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Um, when I uh, plant something in my yard, it's very therapeutic. I did something. I took a plant that was in a pot and I put it in the ground. It's amazing. I just stand over that little plant and just with great admiration for my efforts, I got something done. Now today, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I know I've got a sermon going on. I have no idea what's going to happen. What's going on inside you? Can you tell me? Will you tell me? I have no idea. Meaning, the work, the pastoral work, can feel like you're not making a difference. Now, how many of you would put up with that in your work? Did you do that for 10 years, 20 years? Make sense? Covenant Seminary is in St. Louis. That's the PCA's national seminary and they discovered something they discovered that half of all the graduates who had gone into ministry after they had gotten a theological degree half of them within five years were no longer in the ministry and so they did a series of leadership summits and produced a couple of books as a result of their studies what's going on with the pastor why is the pa what's going on I want to just let you know, pastoral work is remarkably complex, very difficult, and the weight of discerning what is right, the weight of discerning what is right is often captivating the elders' meeting. What is the best course of action here? There, you can't turn to Ephesians 2 and get a particular direction It'll guide you, but the wording, the timing, how best to pursue this problem. And so it is a weight, and there's the, all kinds of weight, a weight to the work. Verse 13, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. 
I like uh, I like it when uh, when oh, we just had a beautiful wedding here. I see Mike out here. Um, the details of a wedding, uh, the moms and dads, uh, and people are getting involved with the wedding, and uh, they'll show up at the rehearsal, and I see the dad perspiring, and and they're and they've got their to do list, and half the things aren't organized yet, and tomorrow's the wedding, and and they and they look at me, and and, and I said, yeah, I said this is kind of like Sunday morning. Uh, meaning, that's right. So Sunday morning can be like 52 weddings. That it works, that it's actually flowing, that it's not distracting, that it's going smooth, right? And and I guess that's the idea is that, well, it looked so smooth up there. Like he just like, wow, it seemed like it all happened. And I guess next week it'll all happen like that again. It just sort of all comes together. Well, I'm glad you have that impression. So that's, that's something for you to work out. Um, and, and some pastors are too into respect, by the way. They're, they're all over it, and they kind of ruin it for the rest of us, <laughs> meaning it's such a big deal for them to be, to be the voice and to be the answer man and to be all that. Uh, so in, in many ways, what you want in someone who's to be a pastor is that they really don't want the ministry job they don't need it right and they're called into it they're called into it they have to do it uh someone who's eager to like (laughs) rule over people no we don't thank you uh there's got to be some other job for you right this is the new the city has to have organization and structure the city has to have it this new city you're the new city you're the big deal you're the one on the hill and there has to be a structure to it. And in there is, of course, the leadership structure that has followers. Okay? Followers. There's a followership. I don't even think that's a real word. You have followership. And respect is central. This template for obedience now turns to another subject, a concern for one another. Look at verse 14. And this seems to be directed to leaders, but all of us can appreciate this. We urge you, brothers. Notice the word urge. Now, here are four ways of using words. Here's city life. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. And be patient with them all. Now, there is an expression of intelligent loving. Intelligently loving people. There is not a one-size-fits-all wisdom for people. They, some who are idle, meaning there was a real problem, by the way, in the Thessalonian church and other churches, you know how they got their income, maybe their wife worked or something, but a lot of people just lounging around, not working. So, Paul says, admonish the idle. It's important to work. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak and be patient with them all. That's a beautiful philosophy of counseling right there people come in with different needs different issues and then verse 15 see to it that no one repays evil for evil the flesh can really mess up the beauty of God's new city so see to it that evil is not repaid with evil so we can't we can't fight the devil with the devil's tools we have to be patient and take the long course. Elders make sure that people are gracious to each other. 
And then look at this. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Again, this is loving intelligently. And really a way of summarizing verses 14 and 15. You're going to have to be close enough to the body of Christ for some of these things to make sense for you. In other words, you, as well as leaders, are called to do these kinds of things. To be close, to correct, to be patient. You have to be close enough. An arm's length distance from the church, this will like not make much sense to you at all. Now imagine this city. Imagine how beautiful this city is. And let me, let me give you a contrast here. Imagine these words. See to it that no one pays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Listen to that. Imagine those words being applied to Washington, D.C. See to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good for one another. Can any of you imagine that being in Washington, D.C., our, our politi- the political center of our, our country? Can you imagine people walking the halls of the Capitol um, thinking how they could do good to one another? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? We, we are the city that is to be demonstrating that. We are called. It is our moment. We keep waiting for some other city to get its act together. Some other city to stop doing these behaviors that are so destructive and evil. It's here where it all starts. It's within the church that it all starts. We are to be the pace-setting, pace-making society that the world looks to. Now the next generation coming up, you need to see these things. The next generation coming up in the church, you need to see goodness and grace, relationships forming and functioning well. I see the city that Jesus is talking about among my, in my church. I see the grace that cannot be hid. The template goes on. Look at the verses 16, and 17, uh, 16 17, and 18. This is really staccato style in the original. It's just little short, tiny sentences. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, why these statements? This is, again, the, the, the social life, the way God's people are responding to troubles and difficulties and hardships. They really are centered on what God is doing. Philippians 2 describes this city set on a hill. Do all things without grumbling and complaining that you may be innocent and blameless children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. No longer complaining and grumbling. Rejoice. Pray. Give thanks in everything. If you'd like a, a way to start your day, this might be a little, well, might, might be a, a jolt to your system. Oh, Lord, help me to turn my complaining heart around and help me to pray. 
to rejoice and to give thanks in everything because I know this is your will for me. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 36, gives us some great reasons to thank God for, um, for what we can pray about, what we can rejoice in. What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? Why rejoice? Why pray? Why give thanks for everything? And here is the Westminster Shorter Catechism answer 36. Here it is. The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. You are going to make it, folks, if you're a genuine believer in Jesus. You're going to make it all the way to the end. And in this city, there is the assurance that God's presence is with us. And God is with his people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. These are high, these are high uh, standards, as it were, for our emotional and spiritual desires. And then finally, this area here, of another template, is, is sort of working with the Spirit, moving with the Spirit. Look at verses 19 uh, and following. With the, Do not quench the Spirit. Look at verse 19. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain every from every form of evil. Now, what does it mean to, to quench the spirit? Don't quench the spirit. It means that for somehow, some reason, we believe that we can't be led by the spirit in special ways that God's Spirit is not working in specific ways in my life. Don't quench the Spirit. And then verse 20, don't despise prophecies or prophetic utterances, as some translations have. And then, I'll explain that in a little bit, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Now that's the key to this responsiveness that we are to have to God's spirit working among his people is that there's a testing of everything. Is this true? Is this biblical? Is this right? Prophecy usually is understood in the Bible, in our New Testaments in particular, as truth-telling. So when we think of like a prophet like Jeremiah and he prophesied, well, what that means is that he just told the truth that God had given him. And we often think of prophets looking into the future, telling about the future. Well, that was part of their ministry, but it really wasn't the majority of their ministry. Much of their ministry was just repeating what God had said to them as they appeared before the very courtroom of God. And they came with oracles or sermons that they had heard from God himself, and they gave these these were truth statements to God's people. Well, the same thing works among us as the church, that God's spirit moves among you, and God, God can work and use your wisdom and your thoughtfulness. And so the church should be hearing from, we should be hearing from people. Um, I one time asked, uh, even in preaching, sometimes we don't really believe God is using his word in preaching. We just sort of like, oh, I just endured it. I'm glad it's over. 
One time I asked someone after church, I said, how did God use his word today? What did God say in his word? That's a pretty safe thing to say, right? And they just they kind of folded their arms, and they weren't, weren't quite sure if that was really appropriate, really the right thing to and so that for the 30 minutes or however long I talked, what were they doing? It was just sort of a human speech. It was just kind of a lecture, a TED talk. Let me ask you, what do you believe is going on right now? What do you think is going on right now? Now, a fallible human being is in front of you asking you uncomfortable questions. But we have to ask ourselves the question of, are we actually believing God's spirit is among his people? Now, if someone comes up to me and says, I had a dream, and the church is going to burn down tonight, well, I'll tell you what, I'll come down here and I'll watch, and I'll stay here all night long, and then I'll probably never listen to that person again. Meaning, can can God's spirit work among his people? Now, I'm not talking, listen carefully to what I'm saying. I'm not saying that a person has the right to bind your conscience by saying, I had a dream, therefore you need to obey me. Well, let me, whoa, you just stepped over the line. Does that make sense? So what we have here is inscripturated will of God right here, right? What Paul's talking about here is just believing that God's spirit is moving among his people and discern this thing, discern these things correctly, right? God's working and moving. For instance, when I talk to a non-Christian, I'm always I, I'm always amazed. I believe God is at work. Does God want me to talk to non-Christians? Yeah. And then they have this unusual question that I think, wow, has God been preparing their heart for this moment, right? So I believe in that moment that God is leading me. Now, my words, are they perfect? Are they exactly perfectly what God would have? Probably not. So the point is this, is that in the informal exchanges, we should believe that God is working by his spirit. Now, if someone begins to demand and begin to say, this I know is the will of God for our church, right? Well, sit down with the elders and let them discern what it is that you're saying and let the final call will be upon with the elders and their guidance and care for the church. But God is active among us. God is moving to create and shape this city. And I want you to get this. This isn't an, an imperative. Meaning, we really are to believe that God's spirit is working among his people. And we are to turn away from evil if there is a, any suggestion of falsehood or a lie or a misdirection or a deception. We turn away from that. The city is being held together by the Spirit prompting obedience. Now, the city also is formed and shaped by the solid confidence that we have that we will always be his look at this in verse 23 now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he who calls you as faithful he will surely do it 
Again, as we interact, what we do is we bless, we, we seek the good of the new city that God is forming. And here, Paul emphasizes sanctification. Again, you're the set-apart people of God, and God, may he bless you and preserve you completely until the day of Christ. Now, we bring this city wherever we go. We bring the hope of this city. We bring this into the darkness. We are on mission with God. And I can testify to you that I'm kind of cured of that lostness I had as a child. Looking out upon L.A., um, God in his grace, I almost never feel those, those feelings of angst anymore, the feeling of despair or lostness, but I sure felt it as a kid. In fact, what's interesting is that I came to faith at 19 in a Christian college I went to in Southern California. The first place I did some ministry was inner city, southeast L.A. in Watts itself. was there for a year helping a lady start a Bible study in her neighborhood. And I went door to door in an all-black community with two other white girls. How about that? So the place that I feared, the place that I didn't feel comfortable with, the place that gave me this sense of alienation, now I'm there ministering and going door-to-door, fairly kind of crazy confident, which is right. But, and then another area of, of ministering for a time with, a, with a, an evangelistic group on Sunset Boulevard and Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles during my college years. And this would be at Friday night when everyone's out and the streets are packed. And I remember just sort of leaning into the city and no longer being afraid. What happened? The sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, a sense of obedience, and a sense of meaning had arrived. I was part of the new city. I knew how things were being held together in my life and in the world. And God had caused me to flourish by his sheer grace. And this prompted obedience imperfect and God also desires this for us for you Paul's final words are very simple verse 25 brothers pray for us greet all the brothers with a holy kiss I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and that's enough to form the new city the grace of Christ Let's pray. Our Father, we love you and thank you for including us by sheer mercy in this city that you're creating. There has to be structure. There has to be a way for this city to work. And we thank you that the structure is framed by Jesus, who is the one who did it all. We thank you for the gathering of your church. Father, we look out upon the troubled world And we thank you that you have brought us in to a place of refuge to rebuild and to become re-envisioned with purpose for our world. We thank you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.